So this is a modular approach to building multiple websites. Um, that's the fancy title for this. Uh, what it really is is the story about how me and my friends and colleagues at the Minnesota Historical Society went about rebuilding um, our historic location websites. We have 26 historic locations, and it was a, um, a ride full of adventure and some drama. And so these are the ups and downs of that particular transformation. Um, a little bit about myself. My name is Malik Davis. I am the senior designer developer at the Historical Society. I work with a team of, um, of three designer developers, uh, two developers, and we have one department head. I've been working there for about five years, which makes me the most junior member of my department because folks there stay there a long time. And a little bit about the Historical Society. Uh, we were established by the Territorial Legislature uh, which means that we're actually 10 years older than the state of Minnesota. Um, we are solidified in the state constitution, and we are a quasi-nonprofit state institution, which means that we are partially funded by the state, and we're also funded by um, income and by our membership as well. We're one of the larger historical institutions in the country. Uh, we had over 1,100,000 guests visit last year. We had uh, 24,000 members, and we have roughly 2.6 million people visit our website 4.7 million times. And so even though we're a small state of about 5.5 million in Minnesota, we've worked earnestly to make the most of the thousands of years of nationhood for the Dakota and Ojibwe nations, and 161 years of statehood. So to that end, we have a lot of history, and uh, Minnesota Historical Society strives to preserve it all through our collections. We have over 70,000 rolls of microfilm. Um, what that means is every newspaper that was ever produced in Minnesota is required by law to give us a copy of their newspaper, and then we turn that into microfilm. We have 250,000 physical objects, 500,000 books, 53 terabytes of foreign digital items, so that's everything from digital photos to GIS information. And we have 26 historical sites. And it's these historical sites that we'll be talking about today. So, uh, like most institutions, we use the web to market our websites and also to give out pertinent information about them. And when the historical society started, uh, most of the web pages were built using HTML and cold fusion. About nine years ago, we started using Drupal, a content management system, that's open source content management system, to start consolidating some of our web pages into a more sustainable platform. And when I joined the Historical Society, uh, the websites for each of the historic locations was built using a custom design template in what was then Drupal 6. Uh, the templates offered flexibility for multiple pages and a consistent interface for displaying pertinent information such as address and location um, and also upcoming events. And it also had this really nifty weather bug on there. It was truly high tech. Uh, but unfortunately, the websites were not able to visualize the uniqueness of each of our locations. So example here, uh, this is a, the website for Mill City Museum. This is our second largest museum. Uh, there's over 12,000 square feet of exhibit space. There's a theater, a courtyard, a working grain elevator, 
all this is housed in downtown Minneapolis in the ruins of um, what would later become the flagship mill for General Mills. And it looks like this. And this is the website for Marine Mill, which is an empty field and used to house a sawmill. So like any parent, you know, we don't necessarily want to favor one site over the other, but you know, sometimes you want to shop in the Husky section and sometimes you want to shop in the Petite section. Just want to make sure that your sizes fit. So at the same time that our historic location websites were experiencing growing pains, uh, we also began the larger task of trying to um, update and tackle our security issues that were facing some of our older servers. And as would be some of our, uh, rather, excuse me, all of our websites, our historical websites were located on these older servers. So as uh, our local Minnesota hip hop group Atmosphere says, when life hands you lemons, you paint them gold. And in the spirit of seizing this golden opportunity, we decided it was not enough just to move our content to a new server. Um, as stewards of state history and content, we need to be mindful of how we preserve this content and how we would serve it to our constituents. So besides the need to display content in a flexible manner and the urgency uh, to address impending security issues, uh, one of the more high-level issues we need to think about and talk about was accessibility. So we're a public institution, so which as designers and just decent human beings, it means that we want to produce content that is available to the widest group of individuals. And, um, and it also means that we want to make it as accessible to the widest group of individuals. So I figure a lot of you folks actually probably work with accessibility, and a lot of you actually probably know more about it than I do. Uh, for this brief conversation, we'll talk about some of the larger issues that we have to tackle. So one of the more interesting data points that, uh, looking at analytics that we noticed, was that 50% of our users were starting to use mobile devices to look at our websites. So what that means is that not everyone's using a desktop. A lot of people actually get their internet not through broadband, but they'll get it through their cell phone service. And so 50% of our users are seeing this. So this is literally not accessible to half of our constituents. And they're not able to access our websites in a meaningful manner. So we decided to double down and really commit to accessibility, and we worked with the, excuse me, worked with the consultancy. Uh, many of the individuals there had the various access issues that our constituents would also display. So this ranged from mobility to site impairment. And this helped us to start our process with an increased awareness of accessibility and to really think about some of the more high-level issues we could deal with. So some of them are alt tags, which is um, you know, kind of a low-hanging fruit. We want to make sure they have alt tags or images so that screen readers can see them. Screen contrast, this would be for individuals who um, have sight impairment to so make sure that the, the language is legible. Um, and importance of proper semantics over presentation. So that just means that when you have headers, you want to have your header one at the top. You want to use your H2 and combine that with its own content. And what you don't want to do is use your headers as a presentation um, tool. So a lot of people, at least on our site, were using headers because they like, wanted to bold their information and was messing up our content. Uh, we also want to have video transcripts and transcript pages and access to YouTube as well because the YouTube embed would produce an iframe which is not accessible to screen readers. And of course, text overlay instead of graphics. You don't want to use graphics for words, you want to text overlay so then you can use screen readers as well. 
So during our discovery process, we worked with a diverse group of stakeholders to determine our approach for the new historic site web pages. Our first step was wireframing. So we decided, perhaps maybe a little bit unorthodoxly, to use uh, PDFs for our wireframes. So there are a multitude of wireframing tools, and um, we actually settled on this because we thought PDFs would be comfortable for our stakeholders, and also be comfortable for us because it would allow us to use some of the design tools that we were used to, and then we could move portions of content around. We also want to be mindful of ensuring that our wireframes um, were black and white or gray, that they didn't have a lot of extraneous like colors or whatnot on them, so then we could really focus just on the content and not on whether it was the right photo that was put in the right, wrong place. So our meeting with our stakeholders produced a couple of requests from them. Um, they wanted their basic information up front, so pertinent information like hours and direction and pricing, we want that to be prominent. Marketing wanted to be able to plug their events and promotions when necessary. And they also wanted that information to be able to coexist with interpretive content. And we also needed to display prominently alerts. So if there was a weather alert or if there's a promotional alert, we wanted that to be able to be shown prominently and then taken down by site managers if needed. And it needed to be sustainable, which meant that not just the web department could do it, but other people could do it as well. So we didn't see a reason to reinvent the wheel for our framework for this, so we actually did use Bootstrap to do the, um, our web framework. And we liked it because it's a responsive framework and also there's a nice suite of design tools and design elements that come packaged in with it. And <coughs> we also used something called Paragraph Bundles, which is a module available through Drupal. And we don't have to get like, too technical about it, but basically what a Paragraph Bundle would be is just a tool for chunking together content. So this allowed us to say, okay, we have an image bundle, you put images in it. You have a text bundle, you put text in it. We have a layout bundle, which is just like a layout tool you might use in um, a layout program. And then you can put your content inside of it. And this really allowed us to chunk and move around our content. So during this process, we also started gathering content. So this meant meeting with the various site managers, going to the individual sites themselves, and also sending out a survey to the site managers because they, of all people, have the most information about what their constituents need and what the experience on the website would be like. Um, this is myself and the other senior designer. We are at the state capital, capital excuse me, looking at a painting, I believe, of Arnie Carlson, one of our governors. And it's Tuesday, so I guess it's plaid shirt day. I'm just ignoring <laughs> that. Maybe that's uniform in Minnesota. So after the discovery, we started building our first site. And we did this in a dev environment. And we did this because we wanted to make sure that users wouldn't accidentally stumble upon our development site on the live site. So we built everything, had it vetted, had it edited. And then we copied it and built it again in our live site. So that was our first site, and this is when we get to more of a lessons learned aspect because I would not want to repeat that process again. Um, even the idea of, of rebuilding something that had been built once took a little too much time. So it did take us three months to build this first site. 
And so this does not include the initial discovery process. And three months really isn't a long time for building a website. If you were going to go to a designer and say, can you build a website for my um, dog walking or dog washing business? It's a very big and large dog walking and washing business. Uh, three months would be reasonable. But you take three months and you multiply that times 25, and then all of a sudden you get 75 months. And 75 months is an extremely long time. And um, it reminds me of the story when I was walking down the street in Minneapolis, I ran into the civil engineer and he was cleaning and painting a street light. And <clears throat> I asked him, well, how long does it take you to, you know, to do this? And he told me there's 3,000 street lights in Minneapolis. So by the time I finished doing the last one, I come back again and start the first one. It would take us six years at this rate to do all of our sites. And at the end of six years, we would just finish, rinse, wash, repeat. Um, that's a Sisyphusian journey, and it's not one that I would want anyone to do. So to that end, we had to find ways to move a little bit faster. So we started working with established page types. We knew that we were going to do some pages over and over again, so we started setting up templates for those. We expanded the functionality of our paragraphs as well. So we took our two-column paragraph, which, and then gave that made into a flex column, which meant that we could then change the amount of percentages and the sizes of content that we put in there. So we had a 50-50, a 66-33, and a 25-75. We changed our three-column bundle. So a three-column bundle is what it sounds like. Basically allowed us to put three chunks of content in one column. We changed that into a gallery. So this meant that we could have overflow now. So instead of using three column, two three-column bundles, we could just put as much content as we want and then move around whatever content was inside of it if we need be. And we developed something called a MOBO or a modular box. This, this one's really interesting because <clears throat> the MOBO is a formalized container. So it's basically, it's, um, it's more of a design element. And we did this because we were getting to a point where we were starting to over-engineer our paragraphs, which meant that we're trying to solve the problem for every edge case. So what if somebody wants to have a border around it? What if somebody wants to have a search field or a more field? And we found that instead of doing that, it might make more sense to just have this design element that we could plop in if necessary, and then keep our other content as clean as possible. So this would serve as both a content chunk and a layout chunk, which is to say that it fits inside of a layout. So this is a mobile right here, and it hold, but it holds content as well. So these were the tools that we ended up having in terms of our layout tools. We had our layout bundle. So this would be a full width bundle for hero images, this big fancy images that stretch a screen. Single column, which would be for text or whatnot, would have margins on the side. Our two column flex would be with that in the gallery. And then we had a text image in our modular box. If there was a situation where we did want to put some extra code in there, we would just put that in our text box. So we would use text boxes, for instance, if we wanted to embed video. We also decided to provide an easy way to drag and drop items. 
So this functionality was rather nice. So if a site manager decided that the museum store really needed to push their products a bit more over exhibits, which you shouldn't do, of course, because exhibits are more important, but perhaps you have to make the quota for sales, then we just have easy drag and drop here where you can move items around quite easily. And that's something that the site managers could do <coughs> and would not have to have the web department do it for them. We also had control for whether a particular chunk of content would display. So we set up what's called display yes or no. And this became really helpful for situations where we would know that content would be coming down the road. Let's say there's seasonal hours that would change in winter or in spring. Instead of developing them live at the time, we would set them up as soon as we got those hours and then just turn them on whenever the season came. And then when the season ended, we could just turn them off. And it was also helpful <coughs> excuse me, for, li <coughs> for live design, where if we wanted to see how an item would look in one particular setup, like with two columns, we could turn that on. And then if we had something with three columns, we could turn that on as well. And whichever one appeared to look the best, we could use. OK. So no process is perfect. <coughs> And around the time of our fifth or so site, our department went underwent a transformation and we went from a waterfall project management to agile project management. Um, our project manager who'd been helping was still involved, but um, her capacity changed. And I should say that we were probably semi-agile because um, if any of you can tell me how you can be totally agile, I would love to hear about it. It's, uh, it is an imperfect art from what I understand but we worked at it and we also were part of a larger institution and the Minnesota Historical Society is fabulous, but it is not agile. <laughs> but one transformation was, was that we started having our sprints. So we would have a two week sprint now, which was nice because then our stakeholders would have the opportunity to talk to us after every two week sprint they could review the content and they could tell us if there's any updates and we could then add that to our next sprint. We also started using Trello and Trello is um, it's a project management tool but you know, really we could think of it as just like post-it notes. And we started assigning particular pages to those post-it notes because we knew those pages would be used over and over again and those systems would be used over and over again. So a particular page or section would then have its tasks assigned to it and then we could then assign whoever wants to do it, be done 25 times, and that way we're not reinventing the process every time that we have to do a new site. So now that we're doing, we're kind of moving with some speed here, we worked with a consultant who then stopped us in our tracks again because he was aghast, he was shocked to find out that we were putting our styles, so our CSS, we were adding them into the code, or rather into the content of our pages, um, which is, was sort of a rookie mistake, but we thought that since we had individual sites and pages, we could probably get away with it. So at this point, we stopped again, and we separated all of our styles instead of a style sheet for each of our sites. This allowed the content to be repurposed, and also kept the code out of the way of the content, because if you're like a site manager or whatnot, like you don't care about trying to update how something looks, what you want to do is update that content. So now everything was in its place and portable. 
So after about 18 months, we finished all of our sites, and we got a pizza party. You know, I mean, pizza's great. You eat pizza on a Tuesday at work, and it's, you know, you can tell your kids about it. And so the end result of this is that we had a formalized approach of producing our historic sites, allowed for a process that was repeatable and modular, and allowed for the sites themselves to be constructed eventually, excuse me, efficiently, while displaying the unique aspects of the sites. So now we know, looks like this. We understood that there wasn't a lot of content itself to talk about with the sites, but there were still some nice visual aspects that we could display. We could talk about the hours, and we could talk about accessibility. And Mill City then had the opportunity to talk about future upcoming events. We could talk about other things you could do there, so you could see the movie there, you could also see the exhibits there, you could go and see the flower mill. We had space for putting a video that was produced by our wonderful friends in strategic communications, um, admission information, and so all together you get an idea of the robust nature of that physical location in this virtual location. So since the launch of our sites, our content has been updated by site managers, a newly hired content editor in the marketing department, and various other members of the site management team. Um, our template has been used for one-off events, and it's been used for exhibits as well now. And just sort of on a personal note, um, it's also really sort of allowed the interpersonal relationships at our place to, to sort of improve um, just because we've been working so closely for so long on a pretty intense, on a pretty intense project. And so it was kind of nice to sort of reconnect with my colleagues, become friends with them again. Um, so we have some time, and I'd be happy to take any questions that you guys might have. Sort of like update like the meta tags and sort of make it a lot more robust. And yeah. it's true, there's like probably, gosh, 
question. Like nine are different, nine are still different fields that you can fill out there. Yeah. Um, we did tie in a site summary and a page summary with what would be used for the Google summary, and so that was kind of nice. And then we um, we always we made sure that when we're generating our content for the site, that the content editors would write the summary as well, so we could plug that in. And so there was like a, a package of content that wasn't necessarily available to the users that we also applied to each page. Yeah, so that was my question, because we did similar to y'all, we had um, like, admin, like admins or page editors for each one, for each of the sites that they had access, but they didn't realize, like when they would uh, update stuff, they weren't filling in any of those things. So do you have a team that goes back and reviews those? Yeah, so actually that was, um, so we actually, one of the tasks that we did have in our trouble kind of, you know, we see it here. Yeah, yeah, we actually made that be a task for each page as well. Okay. And so um, there'd be a checklist of all the various fields you had to fill out. And then there was a field, <coughs> excuse me, a field for the um, for the summary information that had to be entered as well. So yeah, so we did that, we did that from an admin level. Um, the original content would come from the site manager level, but the input did happen on the admin level. That, was that kind of Yeah, yeah, I just I was that was for anyone looking into this, that was a huge pain point for us. Yeah. So we migrated over with that many sites and submenus and things like that, was getting people trained to utilize those additional back-end metadata stuff. Yeah, yeah, there, were, there was some hand-holding for that, for sure, and there was also just us doing it, too. Yeah. Okay. Uh, you mentioned working <coughs> with consultants at various points. Yes. Um, was it just that you mentioned two points, if I recall specifically, was it just those two points, or was it through the entire process, and if it was at certain points, what, what, what made you decide to work with them, and how did you go about it? Sure. Uh, the first one was um, was we worked with, a, um, with an accessibility consultant, and we were just at the beginning stages of really trying to reproduce a lot, or building really a lot of images, and accessibility hadn't really been at the historical society from a web level before. Um, we had recently hired someone to be an accessibility specialist there. So as an institution, we started to think about it a lot more. Um, and so then we, that became like a good opportunity for us at the, so it's just our team to go and start thinking about it as well. Um, our project manager had looked up this particular consultancy and then he took a day off to go do it. So it's out. Since we took it pretty important, pretty, pretty seriously, we thought that we could do that before we pushed the whole process of trying to make things more realistic. So that was the first one, um, and that was that was super helpful. So it was really good to not just use tools, but to see someone else use the tools and see them how they experience it. Because um, I myself and I might feel more awkward about this not having this experience. Uh, the second one was we had gotten probably into the process, and there was just a lot of stuff going on outside of the work department with our servers and IT, and it just really became obvious that we didn't rethink our processes for how we were building our sites and how we were treating them, how they were structured, and um, I suppose this might be too much information, but we actually followed that with also just working with um, some team building as well, so there was someone who assessed how we're doing things, and they're sort of assess us as well, 
intuitive and some people were um, uh, extroverts and whatnot. So that all happened at the same time. But um, yeah, once again, it was more that it just became obvious that we had to be mindful of how we were producing our content and producing our sites because we increased so much and, it, and the technical debt was starting to mount up. And so we made sure that going forward, we were producing more technical debt. Because the 26 sites, all of a sudden, we didn't have a So if we had a video here, this is actually a, this is one of our text bundles, and then we put the embed code in there. I mean, you can't see it, but what we have underneath here is a tag that says view transcript, and that would take you to a page that has the transcript written out in you know, HTML, and then the video again. And then there's another thing that says view on YouTube. So then you can go to YouTube and watch it there, because it's not the embed. So the video is accessible when you're viewing it. Yeah, because it's an iframe. Yeah. Yeah. So you know. So yeah. So if you were there, um, you would go to your here in the screen or kind of use the black hole and would say like do transcript and you click there and you do transcript and then go back to the picture. So let's say that you are in a state right next to Minnesota with twelve historic sites. Websites are in dire need of fixing, but the marketing departments decided a long time ago that they need to look exactly the same because brand is more important than differentiating the experience. Sure. How might one make that? <laughs> 
That's my next presentation, web versus marketing. Um, you know, trash talk marketing, but part of it is really having to explain that the historic location sites aren't many things. And I think that accessibility means not just making sure that you've got a site that's built for students, it means that you're making a site that's accessible to people who maybe cannot go to the physical site. So the website isn't just a means of um, generating income or with the colors and with the logo, but um, I really think that you need to argue for the unique nature of each site and how they would suffer under sort of this vision of um, similarity. So between access and accessibility and the uniqueness of the sites, it's sort of like the, you just gotta take the fight to marketing and hope that you can win. Marketing is, is a very strong big boss, so you know, there might be some leveling up, but. Yeah, it's, that's an ongoing conversation. Sometimes you win and sometimes you don't. Win a lot of because you're the one who's able to Experience and we thought, uh, you know, you can have a video and you can just emphasize the, the more visceral, sonic, and you know, visual experience of it. <coughs> you just tie it with a smaller narrative on the bottom. And that seemed different from, say, like prints. Oh, sorry. Sorry. 
those spreads. So like, for that, what you supposed to have to do is get the dates there. Um, we do have some other sites where we, it was necessary for us to add a sort of a robust amount of content. Um, our Fort Snelling site needs to put probably four different sections of information because we want to talk about the different conditions as well. Um, for the capital, we had to set up an art gallery because that particular location didn't just have um, didn't have historic relevance as a state building, but also there's artwork all throughout it, so we can work with the art gallery for that. That would be different than how we treat uh, the city, which is big. So it's a small thing, but we can put those in there as well, so that the user who may not be able to get there still has a still has a been your choice had you been involved in that process? It would have been because it's one of their options. Well, you could certainly, well, we could have, um, we could have continued on the path of working ourselves with the PhD, PhD, to help we could have made our own very professional teaching setting. We could have used the money for this, I'm sure. Um, we also probably could have
Thank you so much again.